Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Today, we are entering into the first part of our series on the Holy Spirit called Present. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, him as a person, about his role in the redemptive historical narrative and his role in history, and and how he's not some sort of ethereal ghost. He's like a real person, and he does real things in the world. And so today, we're specifically looking at the person of the Holy Spirit in creation and throughout the Old Testament. So as we begin, I, I just kind of want to share with you a little bit that about kind of the, the motivation behind this sermon series and specifically looking at the Holy Spirit. You see, being abandoned and left alone in a time of great need is, I think, one of our greatest fears as a culture. I know it's one of my deepest fears and probably many of you as well. Now, whether that fear becomes a reality by intentional rejection, like somebody intentionally rejects us when we are being abandoned or in time of need, whether that fear of abandonment becomes a reality by the unintentional inadequacy of our friends or family around us, right? Like they they might not know that we're being abandoned or we need them and they abandon us unintentionally. Or whether that's, that's us, like you and me, not developing that relational network to be around us in time of need. It is truly horrifying to think of being in need and realizing that you are completely alone. And I think that that fear is so ever-present in our culture that, that many choose to either not form strong bonds with someone or to maybe even on the opposite direction throw their lives towards a relationship or a spouse or towards children in the hopes that you won't be alone. See, both of these are trying to protect to, to protect from that feeling of abandonment. But uh, I think that our culture is generally split up in two ways to protect us from feeling abandoned. And there's two different approaches in our culture to protect us from abandonment. One is self-expression and the other is self-resolve. Let me explain. So I think in one section, self-expression of our culture, one segment of our culture, maybe the more creative types, the more um, self-expressive types, might say, um, I must become who I truly am and internally shed repressive society, repressive structure, repressive people, in order to become who I am. So like there's certain things around me that are pressuring me not to be who I truly am. And so how I won't be abandoned, how I'll get into community, how I'll have someone with me, how I'll be accepted is that I need to just become who I truly am and someone, people in that camp will accept me, right? That's self-expression. Now I think there's a second way to approach this fear of abandonment by what I'm calling self-resolve. So that's, that's a statement that essentially says, I, I must not rely on anyone. That actually it says that, that people will abandon me. And I must externally shape my life to be completely autonomous, right? So I would say that that is probably people who have been in the combat of war, people who've been trained in the military, people who um, maybe you've been betrayed in business and you're, you're even in ministry. And you just say, I can't rely on other people. I must be autonomous and I must control the environment around me in order to, um, to, to have this self-resolve in order to not be alone. Now, here's the problem. There's a problem with both of these. There's actually, and I'm going to put this graphic on the screen, that there's a problem with this in two ways. Self-expression. Here's the problem with that. 
Who we are and what we value, it always changes based on culture, based on society, based on geography where you live, based on your own personal opinions that might change over time. Like as humans, we constantly grow and adapt. We are influenced by the people around us. And so you can never truly find your authentic self because your authentic self is constantly changing with culture, with society, with your friendships, right? People who befriend you might change how you view the world. And so self-expression will never truly work because your true self is constantly changing. Now, here's the other problem, though, is that self-resolve um, won't work either because we're human and we can never be truly fully autonomous from other people. We need other people. We need to be built in relationships. And so what happens is, is that those who attempt self-resolution to control the environment around them to where they're not abandoned, here's the thing. When they do finally let people in and those people betray them, it's just as crushing. Here's the deal. We all feel abandoned at times. Now, here's the solution. And this is kind of, again, what's, what's sparking me to motivate at least this section of our sermon series is that God has an empowering presence that he comes into our life. The gospel gives us a third way, which tells us that we are powerless to avoid abandonment. We can't avoid it inside through self-expression. We can't avoid it around us through self-resolve. In fact, the gospel says that we are weak and incapable of being free from abandonment. But God has entered into our loneliness. He has changed us through the work of Jesus and now dwells in us by his Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out as God's empowering presence. My friends, the Holy Spirit is present in the life of the follower of Jesus. He is truly, personally, permanently present. The person of God himself is with us for real in the Holy Spirit's indwelling. My friends, the Holy Spirit, as we've said every week we give this definition, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God's indwelling and empowering presence within his believers and his external presence throughout the world. The Holy Spirit sustains and accomplishes what God the Father wills and Jesus inaugurates. And that leads us to our main point for today, which is this. The person of the Holy Spirit was active before the world was created. He had a role in creation to sustain and accomplish what, God, what the Father willed and Jesus began. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was temporarily indwelling God's people for specific tasks with a promise to permanently indwell all of God's people one day. So we're going to go to, we're just have three points for today. The role of the Holy Spirit in eternity past and in creation. We're going to see the temporary indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we're going to see the promise of future security in the Old Testament. So let's begin by looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in eternity past and in creation. So in eternity past, before, the, before God created anything, it was, it, was, it was the perfect triune God. And the Holy Spirit was fully God. And he was fully enjoying union with the Father and with the Son. He needed nothing. And guys, I just want to pause here and say, God didn't create us because he needed people to worship him. He didn't create us because he needed people to love him. He didn't create us because he was lonely or bored. Like, like God was completely self-sufficient within himself. He has relationship. He has community amongst the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All three of them were together in eternity past, perfectly loving one another. But God did create us for his glory and to share all of his perfections with us. 
to share his perfect love, to share his perfect grace with us. That's why God created us. Now, when we get to, now that's, that's eternity past, right? So then when we get to Genesis 1, um, I call this pre-creation creation, right? So let's read the first few verses and I'll explain what I mean by that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we see at the very first pages of the Bible that there is an assumption that we believe that God is real. And so if, if that's not you today, that's okay, but that's a presupposition that the Bible assumes its readers believe that there is a God and that he is real. And actually, atheism is a fairly new concept if you look at the trajectory of all of human history. It's a fairly new concept here. And if that's you, that's okay. But the Bible says that, that God was 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 around, right? God created the heaven and the earth. And it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we see that before the acts of Genesis 1 and 2, where God separated the, the, the waters and brought up land, where he created, um, he created the plants and animals, and he created light and darkness and all these things, that there was an element of something, there was already something there, right? It was a big rock, it was formless, it was void, and there was water covering it. And so that's where we come to the scene before God begins the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, that there was something already there that he had created previously before the events of Genesis 1. Now what we see is that the Holy Spirit, it actually has a role in pre-creation creation, in, in this formless and void ball of water in the universe. And it says that he was hovering over the face of the waters. To hover means to brood over. It means to incubate like a bird over her young. Like, like as a bird sits to lay its egg, protects and hovers over its egg. So, so, so the Holy Spirit was hovering, protecting, brooding, holding things together, incubating the world. He was sustaining and holding it together. My friends, the Holy Spirit even now is working in the world around us as God, but he was in the beginning. He was holding the world together, and he was even sustaining the world together before the creation narrative. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing um, right before creation. Now, what happens with creation, right? When God chooses to act, to begin to shape the world in those initial um, six stages in Genesis 1 and 2. And we see in accomplishing creation that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have different roles. What we see first is that God the Father willed creation to happen. Look with me at Isaiah 43, 7. Um, This is God, the Father, speaking. He says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So we see that God the Father created us for his glory, that he formed us and he made us, but God willed creation to happen. But then we fast forward to John 1, and we see that Jesus has a role in creation. It says, All things were made through him, All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So we see that Jesus, that that all of creation was made through Jesus. But then we get to this, that the Holy Spirit sustains creation in life. So God the Father wills creation. Jesus inaugurates. He begins creation. It's created through him. But then the Holy Spirit sustains creation in life. Look with me at Job 33. The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty 
gives me life. And then this other one in Psalm 104, it says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. This idea of of the Holy Spirit and this connection with breath and life is very significant. Actually, in the New Testament, the word for spirit literally also means breath. And when we see in the Old Testament, when God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so I think that Job and the Psalms are recalling to us the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. But we see that this breathing into Adam, this breathing of life was probably accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So we see that God the Father wills creation to happen. We see that Jesus, it all happens through Jesus. But then we see that the Holy Spirit is the one that's sustaining, he's accomplishing, he's the one that's actually kind of on a molecular level giving life to Adam's body as God breathes into Adam the breath, the spirit, right? And the spirit is the one that's causing his heart to beat and his lungs to breathe and the blood begin to pump through his body and the electrodes sparking in his brain as he as he literally comes to life by the power of the Spirit. So God the Father, what God wills, Jesus inaugurates or begins. It happens through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one that sustains it. He's the one that accomplishes it. He's the one that brings it to completion. And now with Adam and Eve in creation before the fall, the Holy Spirit fully knew the future, but he was not inhabiting or dwelling within Adam and Eve because they had no need for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were walking with God directly. They were speaking with God directly. They had no need for him to be in their hearts because they had God in front of their face. And the Holy Spirit was still superseding over creation. So that's where we see the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit both in eternity past and in creation. Now then we see there is a temporary indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, before we get to there, just one quick pause about what happened in the fall of man. Because I know that this might be a little confusing. If the Holy Spirit is the life giver, right? If the Holy Spirit is the sustainer of life, God told Adam and Eve in the day they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. What does this mean about the power of the Holy Spirit? See, here's the unfortunate reality, is that Adam and Eve did not stay in perfect harmony with God. But the Holy Spirit, he fully knew the future. He was present in the fall. He fully knew what was happening as it was happening. He was there. Now, see, when death entered into the world as Adam and Eve sinned against God, right? Their, their hearts died, and then their bodies began to decay, and they eventually did die. This did not lessen the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit's power to sustain life, to accomplish the will of God, it was not lessened. But rather, God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all together allowed death and sin to enter as a consequence of sin. And the Holy Spirit still retains his life-giving power. And we see that the Holy Spirit retains his life-giving power because he is working throughout the Old Testament. His power is still being expressed, but not fully because God has now allowed death to enter into the world as a consequence of sin, as a consequence of the brokenness. So the Holy Spirit's power is not lessened. However, God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit made the decision to allow death to enter as a consequence of sin, as part of God's plan to redeem the world. Now, 
what in the world is the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? Well, the Holy Spirit is actually doing a lot in the Old Testament. He is everywhere. If you read the Old Testament, you see the Spirit over and over and over again popping up. Um, but, but primarily what the Holy Spirit's role is in the Old Testament is to temporarily indwell certain people for specific tasks. Let me say that again. The role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is to temporarily indwell certain people for certain tasks. So uh, I'm going to give you a few examples. The first one is the Holy Spirit rushed upon Saul to execute justice. There was a grave injustice in Israel, and this is what happened in 1 Samuel 11:6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. You see, the Holy Spirit gave Saul power to right the wrongs. There were some wrongs happening in Israel, and God gave Saul rushed on the Holy Spirit with him. He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he then righted those wrongs in the subsequent chapters. Now, another place where this was given was it was rushed upon a man named Samson. And I included this because it's kind of a a boss analogy, but he actually ripped a lion in two, if you could believe it or not, okay? Uh, Judges 14, five to six, this is what it says. Then Samson went down to his father and mother Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, listen to this, guys, this is crazy. A young lion came towards him roaring. Then the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never torn a young goat before, but I'd imagine that he's ripping it into pieces. And Samson was rushed with the Holy Spirit of God who gave him supernatural physical power. And I think supernatural bravery. Because I don't know about you, I'd imagine, I like to imagine myself as maybe a pretty brave person in tense scenarios. But I think if I saw a a lion running towards me and I don't have like a powerful shotgun or a powerful rifle, I am going to run as fast as I can. But it says the spirit rushed upon Samson. He stood his ground. He had supernatural strength to literally rip this lion into pieces. Man, the Bible's crazy sometimes. It tells us some crazy stuff. Now, here's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit came to Bezalel, this guy named Bezalel, to create beautiful things for the tabernacle of God. Now, in the Old Testament, um, as the people of Israel were 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 freed from captivity in Egypt. They're going towards the promised land. God wants to build a tabernacle. It's a physical representation of his leadership and presence in the nation of Israel. And so he does that. And this is what he says. Uh, As he's giving the instructions, he says in Exodus 31, he says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So God gives Bezalel supernatural creative power. So we see that God gives Samuel the ability to lead, right? Supernatural leadership powers. He gives Samson the ability like a supernatural physical power, but then he gives Bezalel a supernatural spiritual uh, uh, creative power. He gives him a creative power to create things. That's beautiful. That means that the Holy Spirit is working in all these different areas to accomplish God's will in the world. Now, here's the other problem, though. This is the, the, the tension in the Old Testament, is that the Holy Spirit could be removed due to sin or circumstance. So when you would accomplish the task, it could be done, or it could be removed because of your sin. Look with me at just these two very short verses about Saul and his, um, his predecessor, uh, well, the person, his, the person that took over for Saul, David. Um, now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So Saul was disobedient to God, and unfortunately, the Spirit was taken away. Not only that, but then the person that followed Saul, 
David, he then pens these words. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So what we see in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit was not guaranteed. It was not secure. And my friends, this was designed by God for a purpose. There is a reason why the Holy Spirit did not dwell permanently with people in the Old Testament. Because it allowed God to give us a promise. It allowed God to give us something to look forward to. And as we now, in retrospect, read the Old Testament, we see how the Holy Spirit was part of the promise that when we would be permanently forgiven by Jesus, the Holy Spirit would dwell in us permanently to secure us and keep us safe. Now, this is where we get to the final point, this promise of future security in the Old Testament. And there's a few different passages, there's a few different areas where the Holy Spirit is promised to indwell. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit was promised was that there would be an inner heart change, that, that actually uh, our obedience would not come as a result of fear of punishment, our obedience wouldn't come as a result of us making sacrifices consistently, but that God would truly change us. Look with me at Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is a promise of God to permanently indwell us. This is a promise of God to change our hearts from the inside out, to take out a stone heart and put in a heart of flesh that his spirit will actually give us the heart of God and come into us and, and help us walk this life out. Inner heart change was the promise. Next was that the Holy Spirit would be for everyone, not just for specific people and specific circumstances. Look with me at Joel 2, which is a very important promise in the Old Testament. Joel 2.28 says this, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. My friend, from the beginning, the promises of God was not just for the nation of Israel. The promises of God were always for the nations to be blessed. We see this in Genesis 12, the first book of the Bible, the first few pages. God tells Abram, I'm going to bless you, and then through you the world will be blessed. And we see that Jesus is a descendant of Abram, and the whole world is blessed because of Jesus. And now we see in this passage here, in Joel 2, that God says that, that this, is, this doesn't have to relate to class. It's, it's all races, all nations, all classes of people, and all socioeconomic standings will be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is an equal opportunity indweller. Okay, that's what he's saying, is that it's going to come to everyone. The Holy Spirit would be for everyone. Finally, and there's many more places where we can see where the Holy Spirit was prophesied, but for time, just one, one more, is that the Holy Spirit was promised to forgive us and to be with us permanently. He was promised in forgiveness and promised for permanency. Look with me at Jeremiah 31, these beautiful verses here. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. You see how it's always about coming within, right? The spirit comes in, the law within, the obedience within. I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his, and each his neighbor saying, know the Lord 
for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the heart of God to promise that he will indwell us permanently. And the promise of the Holy Spirit's permanence is directly connected with permanent forgiveness. He says, I'm going to permanently forgive you. I am going to show myself, reveal myself to you, and then I am going to indwell you. I'm going to put my spirit inside of your heart and life and guide you and direct you to live this out. And actually, when we look forward to the New Testament, which we're going to do next week, what we see is the New Testament writings of Paul about the Holy Spirit are saturated with this idea, saturated and informed by this Old Testament promise of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul was brand new to this, right? Like, the, like God God, Jesus himself appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. He, he, he blinded Paul for three days. And when Paul came out of it, he became a Christian and he began to preach the gospel. He was totally changed, but he was an Old Testament scholar. He was a Pharisee before that. And so he knew about these promises and he knew that the arrival of the Messiah would usher in the permanency of the Holy Spirit and people would have access to complete forgiveness for all all time. Like he knew that this was coming and he knew that when this happened, when the resurrection of the dead happened and the permanent arrival of the Holy Spirit happened, that that was a sign that the Messiah had come. So my friends, two things, like I mentioned, marked the end of our searching for a savior. The resurrection from the dead and the permanency of the Holy Spirit for God to dwell with his people. And what we see in the Old Testament, what we see with the lessons that we can pull from this is that God has entered into our weakness. He's changed us through the work of Jesus. And he now dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. And he changes us from the inside out. It says, I will give them, I'll remove the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. Like I'm going to come and dwell inside of their hearts. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to put my law inside of them. This is why we don't have to have moral management for our friends. This is why when we see our friends doing something wrong, we don't automatically have to stop the behavior because the Holy Spirit, if, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and will God you and will direct you and will convict you. And you can push against him, but you can submit to him and live life differently. And it's not just for an individual, but God actually leads and indwells a people. Um, this, this commentator, Gordon Fee, that I've been referencing for this sermon series, he said that God is saving a people for his name, not a disparate group of individuals. Like, like we are coming together. So even as a, a church family, we can be led by the Spirit who is giving us the law of God in our own hearts. Now I want to close our time together today with these words from another passage in Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O oh my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.